I'm, I'm, it. I'm very happy to be here with you guys today. And um, how, how are you guys feeling? You guys feeling okay today? Turn, turn to your neighbor and tell them how you're feeling today. Just, just, give, just give them like a one word. This is how I'm feeling. <clears throat> All right, that's enough. That's enough. Um, if we haven't had a chance to meet before, my name is Andrew. And I lead this location. If you didn't know, Mount Hope is one church in two locations. You're in one of them right now here in Belmont, and there's another one in Burlington. Brian just talked about that. And uh, I get to preach God's word today. I'm, I'm excited. So like Pastor Brian said, we are in the book of First John today. Um, and I think it would be really good for you to have it open. So if you didn't already open it up, I think it would be great for you to do that. We're going to be uh, in First John. We're going to start in chapter 1. We'll um, end in chapter 2. And uh, I wanted to maybe just reflect back on last week because we started this series. It's a new series for us. We started it last week, and we, we called this series Walking with Jesus in a Stormy World uh, because the book of First John, it's, a, it's really a letter. And it's written to a church that is dealing with some challenging situations. They, they've got storms in their life, you could say. There, there are storms going on outside their church. There are storms going on inside their church. There's probably storms going on inside the individuals in the church. And they're just, you know, the people there, they're feeling a little bit lost. They're feeling a little bit confused. They're, they're being pulled in different directions and they're trying to figure out how do they move forward in these different situations. And so they're just like, I would love it if a leader, if a pastor, if somebody who knows more than me and, and could help me with this would maybe write me a letter and tell me what to do. And so that's what we have here in the book of First John. And we're, we're, I think it's a great book for us to be looking at, a great letter, because we can relate to that. There are storms going on. Maybe you have a storm going on in, you know, your workplace or outside of your life. Maybe it's something going on within your family or within your home or within yourself or, you know, something even going on inside the church. When we find ourselves feeling a little bit lost, a little bit confused, we find ourselves being pulled in different directions and not really sure how to go forward, we can go back to this book because this is exactly what John, the writer, is addressing. And so last week when we started off this series, we saw how he opens up his letter, the first few verses. He sort of like skips all like the niceties. Normally when the letters you write them, you like, this is, this is my name and I'm writing to you and you know, peace be with you and all this stuff. He just skips all that. He jumps straight into what he wants to talk about. And last week we found out that he wanted to start off his letter by talking about Jesus. And he said, that which was from the beginning, this Jesus, I, I saw him. I, I touched him. I watched him. I was there when nobody else was there. Out of everybody on earth, John, this guy, knew Jesus the best. And what we found out last week, as he opens up this letter, addressing to people who are dealing with storms in their life, he says, if you lose your grip on Jesus, you're going to lose your grip on joy. And that's where we talked about the umbrella, and we found out last week that there are a lot of superstitious people in here who were very concerned when Brian opened up the umbrella. Um, I, I don't have it. I don't think it's here on stage, but I'm, I'm not superstitious, so I would just open it, but it's not here. And we talked about that umbrella is kind of like Jesus. In the storms of life, when things are crazy around us, we want, we want to make sure we don't lose our grip on Jesus so that we don't lose our grip on joy. And then he goes on from there, 
into the verses that we're going to look at today. So this is starting, we're going to start in verse 5. And uh, the Bible, if you're using the Bibles in front of you, that is the ESV. This is a version, a translation. If you didn't know, the Bible is not written in English. And so we had people translate it. I'm using a slightly different version. Still God's word, but it just, some words might be different, just so you're aware. So this is what he says in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. All. So pause there for a second. Remember, put yourself in the shoes of these people. They're, they're lost. They're confused. They're, they're being pulled in different directions, and they don't know what to do. They're just saying, please, just tell me what to do. Give me some advice. Tell me how I'm supposed to deal with this. And John sort of starts in kind of a weird way, right? Like he starts talking about Jesus, and then he starts say, saying this stuff about how God is light. And, and you know, I don't know. It's sort of an unexpected way to start his letter. Like you would expect him to be like, you know, I know what you're going through and this is what happened to me. And, you know, maybe here's something you could try, but he doesn't do that. And actually, if you look at how he starts his letter, it very closely mirrors the way he starts his gospel. If you didn't know, the writer who writes this letter also wrote a gospel, which is basically a biography of the life of Jesus. And he starts that one in the same way. It's talking about in the beginning, you know, Jesus is here. He comes into the world and, and he brings with him life. And that light, he says, was the light of man. And so he starts off by talking about Jesus and he starts off by talking about light. And this idea of light, it's a very important idea for us to, to wrap our heads around because this was very, very important to the people who uh, were receiving this letter, the recipients of this letter, first century Christians, light was very, very important. Light meant that you got your crops to grow. No light, no food. Light was sort of the source of life. That's, that's really how he, he says it in the gospel of John, that he really ties these ideas, life and light together. Not only is light sort of this source of goodness in life and, and you know, good things in life, it's, it's also sort of throughout scripture a symbol or a, a sort of a metaphor for perf- like moral perfection. Like the light is just like the highest standard of how you can live and, you know, the, 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 the thing you should be striving for. And so what John is doing here in this verse is it's, it's, it's actually really cool. He is starting by telling us about who God is. He's giving us an idea of what the character of God is. God is the source of all good things in the world, the source of of life. And he's this perfect being. He's this, everything he does is the right thing to do. He knows exactly how to live and he does it. So he's telling us about God's character. And I think this is a really important lesson for us as we're thinking about the storms in our life. Because what he does is, is he says, hey, whenever you see a storm coming, maybe you can see it on the horizon, and it's gonna hit your life sooner or later, or maybe you're just right in the middle of it. The first thing you should do when a storm hits your life is ground yourself in God's character. The first thing you should do when you see this coming, when, when, when it hits your life and you start to wonder, what am I supposed to do? You go back to who is, who is God? That's what John does. He goes back to who is God. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. And John is doing this 
he's giving this advice from experience. You may be familiar with this story in the Gospels where Jesus and all of his apostles, his closest disciples, John being one of them, are in a boat, and they're in this, this uh, big sea, and all of a sudden, the, a big storm picks up, a literal storm, and, and the waves start crashing, and water's coming into the boat, and they're trying to row back to shore, but they're not making any progress, and they are, all they can see is the storm. They're just looking and they're, they're sort of like tunnel vision. They say, ah, there's, you know, what's going to happen? We're going to die. We're, the boat's going to sink. We're going to drown. That's the end. But what we see Jesus doing in that story is something very different. Jesus being on the same boat in the middle of the same storm with all of those disciples is sleeping like a baby on a nice little cushion underneath the boat, uh, like under, below deck in the boat. And the difference is that the disciples, they, 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 saw the, they only saw the storm around them. But Jesus, he was grounded in God's character. He knew who God was. And he saw the storm, he felt the boat rocking, but it didn't bother him because he grounded himself in God's character. And that's what happens. When we feel these things come onto our life, you know, relational struggles, difficulty at work, whatever it is, we go back to who God is, and when we ground ourselves in God's character, what happens is everything else gets put in perspective. Everything else gets put in its proper perspective in life, and we can start to take a breath, maybe have a little more peace and calmness like Jesus does. And by the way, once he, once he sort of calms the storm, Jesus does a miracle, and he calms the storm, and he looks at the disciples, and he goes, where's your faith? Like, don't you know who God is? Don't you know who I am? Like, have some faith. Don't, don't get so focused on this. Like, focus on me. And so that's the first piece of advice that John gives. And I think that this is great, too, because it, it's sort of universally applicable. No matter what storm comes in your life, this is always the best first step that you can take to go back to who is God and set everything else in its proper perspective. But then he goes on into verse six. He says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Let's go pause there for a second. So after grounding his audience in God's character, he gives these five statements, these five if statements, and they follow a pattern. So if you were to go back and look, he starts with a negative one, and then he gives you a positive one. And then he goes back to a negative one and a positive one, and he ends on a negative one. So he's kind of like this up and down sort of thing. What he's doing here is, I think, I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to simplify the situation for these people. He's trying to simplify. I mean, when stuff happens and storms hit your life, it can feel really complicated. That's one of the reasons, you know, we sort of don't know what to do because it's just so complicated. If this happens, then it's going to impact that and that and this and that. John is trying to simplify this whole situation down to sort of two roads. 
to two paths, two options. And what he starts out by saying, and, and also what he's doing here, and this is a little bit, uh, I don't know, a little cheeky, a little abrasive, you might even say. John is calling out some, some stuff that's going on. He's calling out some people uh, pretty hard. And we'll get into this a little bit more as the weeks go on, but the, the real main storm that First John is addressing is some challenges that are going on inside the church. Inside the church, there's this, this group of people that have the, these bad ideas or beliefs about Jesus, this bad theology about Jesus. We call that Christology, this sort of theology about Jesus Christ. They've got the wrong idea about Jesus, and it's causing a lot of problems. People are coming to faith. They, they hear the gospel, they come to faith, and then they start to hear like, well, this guy's saying this, and this guy's saying this, and you know, I, I want to do it right. I want to I serve God and honor him with my life, so which, which way do I go? And they're confused. And so what John is doing is he's calling, he's saying, if you claim, or if we claim, sort of like put it in air quotes, like if we claim, and those, all of those things are from this group that is causing problems. So he is calling out these, this group of people. And he starts out by saying, if you claim to have fellowship with him, with God, you know, you're just going around church saying, I know God, I know God, but you're walking in darkness. He's like, you're a liar. You're a liar. And that is a big deal. To be a liar in the first century world, this, this is a culture and a society that is based around these dynamics of honor and shame. And so to be honored in society was like really the thing you were striving for. You always wanted to be honored and, and you, know, you would get more opportunities and, and people would treat you better and people wanted to be associated with you. But as soon as you had shame on you, it was sort of like, uh, like you were contagious. Nobody really wanted to be around you. People didn't want to give you the time of day. And to be a liar was just like shame just dumped on you. And so he's calling these people out. To be a liar meant that you were, your relationships were going to get busted up. You were going to end up isolated and alone. And so he's calling these people out. And then he, so he says, these are your two options, right? He's simplifying the situation. You can claim that, you, you know, you can go along with this group of folks, claim that you know God, but walk around in the darkness. You're, you're liars. You're going to have bad things that are going to happen in your life because of that. Or he, he goes on to give the next one. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. You got option A, you got option B. It really is not a competition on which one you're going to want to go with. So John is really pushing these people towards, hey, we grounded ourselves in God's character. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Walk in the light. What, like, focus on who God is and move in that direction. Just move towards him, whatever it's, step by step, walk in the light. And he, he does it again. He says, if we claim we have no sin, what does he say? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So now, not only are you lying to other people, you're lying to yourself. And then he juxtaposes that with, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and he forgives us and purifies us from all unrighteousness. So we get this purification thing going on again. And then he hits them with like, this is the, this is the haymaker. This is like the, the double whammy. This, this last if statement, he says, the same claim as before, same claim as verse eight. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word has no place in our lives. Very similar to verse 8, but what he's saying is, you're not just lying to other people. You're not just lying to yourself. You are now making God a liar. 
And if it was the worst thing to, to be known in your society as a liar, it's, it's like, but like worse than the worst thing to, to be the one who's making God a liar. Now you're bringing shame onto your God and everyone who, who claims to follow that God, like that, that's, that's the worst thing you could conceive of doing. And so he is really laying into these folks and saying, walk in the light. These guys don't know what they're doing. And what he's doing in these verses as he's building sort of this idea together He's, he's pushing people towards God. He's pushing people to say, walk in the light. He's making it very easy to, for them to make this decision. And what, it, what, what I see him saying here is that walking in the light means that you are being completely honest before God. He says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So it's, it's all predicated on this confession of sins. When we go before God and we don't say, I have not sinned. We don't claim all of that stuff that he associates with darkness, but we go before him and we say, I messed up. I, I, I continue to mess up. I got issues, God. We, we, we walk in the light and we, we spend time in the light. And what, what he says is that there's a, a process of transformation that happens. The blood of Jesus purifies us from our sin when we do that. And so he's, he's, he's building this argument, and then he sort of, I think what he's sort of doing here is he interrupts himself. So we're going to go into chapter 2, and I want you to, um, maybe you already know this, but the Bible, when, when John was writing this letter, he did not write the numbers into the, into the letter. Those were something that somebody put in afterwards, and they're usually pretty helpful for us to sort of organize ideas, and, and it's helpful for us to find particular parts in the Bible. Uh, but John didn't put these in here, and, and what he's doing is he's really continuing his idea. So we're going into chapter 2, but this is sort of like, like a commercial break from, from like his real argument. He's, he's, going, he's cutting to commercial right here, and he says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Christ Jesus, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Pause there for a second. So what, I, I really like John as a writer, and there's a lot of different writers in the Bible, and I think he's very relatable as a guy. He's like, not the smartest dude, he, you know, he sort of makes a fool of himself a handful of times, uh, but... He, he, like, he really loves Jesus, and, but he also has, I think, if, if there's anybody in the Bible that has ADD, I think it's probably John, right? He, he's like, he's been talking about, you know, he's grounding in God's character and talking about these different situations, and, and then what happens is he mentions sin a few times. If you go back to like 8 through, eight through 10 of chapter 1, he mentions sin a few times, and he's like, oh, I should probably, I should probably tell you some more about that, that thing, sin, You've got these questions going on in your head. I should probably tell you. So he sort of interrupts himself to explain sin a little bit. This, this is what my father-in-law would call chasing rabbits. My father-in-law, he, he always says, I'm riddled with ADD. And he chases rabbits all day long. He's like, oh, the thought. And you got to go, go down the rabbit hole. And what he's doing here, he's helping us understand what sin is. So he says, I write this to you so that you will not sin. That's a big deal. That's a big statement. Do you know what that means? That means that, that John believes in a reality where we 
can actually not have sin in our life. He's saying, I'm writing this so that you don't sin. You don't have to be complacent with the sin in your life. You don't have to just be like, well, this is how I am, and this is how God made me, and it's never, never going to change. John is f- like flatly refuting that. No, you can change. We just talked about it. The blood of Jesus purifies us. It's not you putting in the work and changing yourself and you know, beating your addiction. It's you confessing, going into light, and Jesus purifies you, and you can actually make progress. He's saying you can actually get closer to the source of all good things, the source of perfection in life. And he, but then he goes on, he says, but we got, a, we got a backup plan. If we do sin, we have an advocate. We have Jesus who will go to the Father when we do something wrong and will go to him and say, look, I know he messed up. I know, he, you know, this is like the fifth time this, you know, hour that he messed up. But, but we, like, let's forgive him. Let's give him another shot. And he goes back to Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. The big theological word there is propitiation. Somebody say propitiation. Propitiation, that's a word that sticks in your mouth. It's, it's Jesus paying a cost, paying a price for our sins so that you, you can have a connection with Jesus or you can have a connection with God. And he's saying, he didn't just do it for you, but he did it for everybody. And John, John has a very particular view of sin. What, the way he's using it here in these verses in chapter 2 and the way he uses it in chapter 1. And really, if you were to go back to his gospel and other places, wherever you see John talking about sin, he's talking about something specific. He's not really saying, uh, whenever you break a rule, like, you know, we all, we go to like lying, cheating, you know, stealing. Like, those are the big three. I don't know why. But uh, like, John's not saying, hey, sin is when you break rules. It's bigger than that. John views sin as anything that happens where we're breaking our relationship with God. Sin is not just a bad thing that you do. Sin is like, is, is breaking, harming your relationship with God. And so what he's doing here, he's God, Jesus doesn't go to the Father when you sin and say, don't punish him. Like, don't, don't give him the wrath that you are gonna put on him because Jesus already died to take care of the wrath. He already died with that big fancy word, propitiation, to deal with the punishment. What's, what, what the thing that needs to be dealt with now is this idea of relationship. He's saying, like, let's give him another chance. Like, let's continue to draw him in. Let's continue to draw her closer to us, closer to the light. Let's not forsake them. I know they continue to screw up, but let's not forsake them. Let's keep drawing them in. And even if you go back, in these verses at the end of chapter one, we see that sin is anything you do that hurts your relationship with God. And so when, when he's talking about confessing and walking in the light, this is the kind of stuff that he wants us to be confessing. This is the kind of stuff that he wants to be in our minds as we go into God's presence and, and say, God, I've screwed up. It's not because, you know, I, I cheated on a test. It's because I've, I've done this thing that's put distance between you and me. And we're striving in the light. We're walking towards Jesus. We're walking towards God in the light. Sin is, is anything that sort of gives us a step back. But when we confess it, it's like taking a step forward. And as we do this process, we keep growing and growing. It says the blood of Jesus purifies us from that sin. So as we, in that process, it, it gets 
better and better and better. And it takes a while, but John really believes that you can actually be free from that, that you can be so close to God that that thing is not a problem anymore. And so the commercial ends and he comes back to his, his sort of his real idea. This is chapter two, starting in verse three. It says, we know him and we, or I'm sorry, it says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. He's thrown out the L word again. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Now, John repeats a word there uh, several times, and that's the word know, K-N-O-W. This is a very sort of, it's, in, in Greek, this word is very full. It's very full of, of meaning and significance. Uh, the Greek word is gnosko. Somebody say gnosko. That's great. You're speaking Greek. It's amazing. The, the word gnosko is, is a very personal, it's a very experiential kind of knowledge. Okay? When you, you know, maybe you are going to go on a trip and you rent a car and they give you that free upgrade and you're sitting there in, this, in the front seat of that car and you see that the speedometer goes up to like, I don't know, 160, 200, something like that. And you're sitting there, you're like, wow, this car can go 200 miles an hour. That's not Gnosko. You know that the car can go 200 miles an hour because the speed you know, the speedometer goes up that far. Gnosko is getting in the car, turning it on, hitting that gas pedal and watching that thing tick over and being like white knuckled on the steering wheel. And you're like, this is what 200 miles an hour feels like. Now you Gnosko. Now you know personally, experientially what 200 miles an hour, that this car goes 200 miles an hour. That's the kind of knowledge that John is talking about. We know that we have come to know God. How? It says when we obey his commands. And he's coming back to this, this, this whole thing, he's, this whole argument he's building together about walking in the light. Because the people are, are confused. They're saying, these people say they know God, and these people say they know God. But these people are not doing what I see it, it says in the Bible. These people are. How do I know that I know God? John says, you know that you know him. You experience him when you obey his word. You experience God. You, this, it's, it's a relational word. Every time when the Bible talks about a husband and wife getting married and having you know, uh, uh, the consummation of their marriage, where the husband knows the wife, it's the same word. It's a relational term, an intimate personal term. You know God by obeying his commands. Walking in the light, it's the same thing. And so what, you know, he's building this whole thing, this whole argument, and this is, this is amazing for us to hold on to because, I, you know, this is universally applicable. Whatever storm comes into your life, you can do all of this and it's going to work. I promise you. You ground yourself in God's character. You move towards the God who is light by confessing your sins, by keeping his word. And what happens when you do that, when you walk in the light, two things start to happen and continue to happen. You get to know Jesus better and you become more like him. 
You know Jesus better and you become more like him. By doing this, John says, by obeying his word, keeping his commands, confessing your sin, you are uh, drawing nearer to God. You're, you're experiencing him and that's that gnosko. You're gonna continue to get to know him. You know, my wife, Rosemary, and I, we've been together for five and three-quarter years. We just passed the three-quarter mark a couple days ago. Um, <clears throat> we can just, Rosemary always jokes because I like to round up. So we've been married for six years. And we've come to a point where I know her pretty well. And the, like, I knew her well three years ago, but I know her better now because we've been walking together through life together. And so like, I, I say that to say, I don't want you to settle for like however much you know God right now. There's more to get to know. There's a lifetime of experiences to share with God and draw near to him. And so John says, we gotta walk in the light to do that. Not only that, but you become more like him. It says, it says in these verses here, that if anyone obeys his word, God's love is made complete in him. That word complete is the Greek word telos, which is just like, is, is like that idea of perfection. It's that idea of finish line. He's, he's drawing back to this idea of light. We gr we're growing towards this sort of finish line, towards this standard. God's love is going to change you. He's throughout this whole section, he's talking about purifying. And every time, and this is important, because it's easy for us to come to sermon, you know, come to church and listen to the sermon and walk away with this idea that I just have to try harder. I have to try harder at this and then I'm gonna get better and then think, you know, my storms in my life are gonna get sorted out. The, the person who does the purifying, the person who does the, the transforming and making God's love perfect within us is not us. Go back and look. It's Jesus who's doing this work. Even in, even in 2 verse 5, it's saying God's love is truly made complete. He's not saying you make God's love complete. God's love is being made complete as God is doing his work in our life. And so I don't want you to walk away feeling like, oh, I just have to try harder. What God wants you to do is to be totally honest before him and to walk in obedience to his commands so that that relationship can get closer and closer and closer together. And when, hap when we're doing that, when we're doing that, the storms of life, so you could sleep on a cushion under the, under the boat when the seas are raging. It doesn't bother you because you know who God is. You gnosko who God is. And God is purifying you and transforming in your life. And so I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to give all of us an opportunity to actually do this, to actually walk in the light for a little while this morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you three options, and I'm, I would invite every one of you to pick one of these three options, okay? We're going to spend some time confessing, confessing our sins to God, and so even now, I, I want you to start to think about what is it that's in my life, what is it that I'm doing that is hurting my relationship with God. And here, the first way that you can do that in this time is just right in your seats, wherever you are, just start, start this conversation. Just start talking to God. God, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I have a really unhealthy relationship with my cell phone. 
I have, I have, a, I have you know, this challenge in my life and it's consuming all of my thoughts and I don't have time. You know, I want to spend more time with you, but I, I don't have it because I'm spending too much here. Be in that time of prayer. Confess your sins to God. That's the first way. The second way, and um, I want to I want to recognize that confession can be a hard thing, hard thing for us. It's not something we do all the time. It's something we should be doing all the time, but it's not something that we really talk about all the time. And especially if you grew up in sort of a Catholic background, this can really feel like maybe it could it could bring back some bad memories. It, it, you know, I don't know where your mind goes to. But the Bible affirms confession. It, it affirms walking in the light. It's not something that we do that saves us. It's not something that confessing to another person, somehow they have the magical power to forgive you. It's, it's always God's work to forgive and to transform. But for some reason, well, it's not for some reason. The, the Bible says back here, if you go back to verse, chapter 1, verse 7, he says if we do this, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have, it's more relational language. We have this, how many of you have ever been in a, in a relationship with somebody, any kind of relationship where you felt like you didn't have to pretend to be anyone you're not, you didn't have to keep any secrets, like that person knew you and still loved you and accepted you. Has anybody been in a relationship like that? You can throw your hand up. If, and if you haven't, you can just picture what that might be like. That is fellowship. That the word is koinonia. It's just, I am authentically myself and we are like, we still love each other. Confession is, the, is where we lay the groundwork for that, where we let down our walls and we say, this is me, I got issues. And then that person can say, this is me, I got issues too. Let's go, let's, let, let's take a step closer to Jesus together. And so the second, the first option is you can, you can pray in your chair and, and, and do that uh, work of confession just on your own. The second one is there's gonna be a few leaders up here at the front on either side if you want to come up and, and spend some time confessing, uh, you can do that. You, if you want to just maybe have a moment between you and God where you just confess and then have somebody pray for you, you can do that. But even in the book of James, another letter, James affirms the value of confessing one to another. You, me and you and you and me. We're going to confess to each other. We're going to pray together. If you want to confess with one of us, you can do that. We'll, we'll, we will join you in that time. We will pray with you and we will take a step in the light closer to God together. That's the second way. The third way, and I think this is my favorite way, is if you, in James, when it says to confess your sins, it just says one to another. It doesn't say you have to confess to a, a pastor or a leader or a priest or like, just one to another. If you have a trusted brother or sister in Christ, you can go and you can confess to them. And, and what it says in James is that God is faithful, something we also see here, and that he will forgive us and purify and, and heal us. Actually, James talks about healing. You're gonna get healing in the book of James. And so if you want to confess with maybe somebody you came in with, maybe, you know, there's, a, there's another person somewhere in the room that you like, you really know and trust, you can just go over and maybe tap them on the shoulder. If you wanna do that, you can go to the back of the room, there'll be some space back there where you can just confess one to another. So those are our three options. I'm gonna ask the worship team to just play without any words for a little while, just instrumental while we do that. And then they will lead us in a closing worship song. So those are your three options. Pray, confess in your seats, confess up front with a leader, 
or confess in the back with a brother or sister in Christ. I'm gonna pray and then we gonna, uh, we'll jump into that time of walking in the light together. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for who you are, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. You are the God who is light in whom there is no darkness at all. You are perfect. You are the source of all goodness and joy and happiness and, and life. And you are for us. You are rooting for us. You are actively desiring relationship with us. Lord, I pray in this time that we can ground ourselves in that, that we can take our eyes off the storms and zero in on who you are and to take a step towards that, to take a step towards you, to come before you and say, God, I've, I've messed up. I've made mistakes. I'm not going to try and pretend that I have no sin. I don't want to lie. I, I don't want to be deceptive. I just want to be honest before you. And Lord, would you pour out your love in that moment? Would you work a miracle in our lives? Would you bring us closer as we, as we come before you honestly? Would you, would you embrace us with this big bear hug? Tell us you love us and, and, and help us as we go on this process. Lord, if there's any fear or anxiety or worry in this moment, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would calm our nerves. You are the helper. Would you help us to take this step? Lord, this isn't about us trying harder. This is about us just being humble and surrendering to you. And so would you help us in this time? Would you help us as we come before you in the light and confess? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.